Realtor.com is making a stand for buyer representation, and you can too. Join Realtor.com in sharing the list of 111 things buyer's agents do. Visit Realtor.com slash buyer agent toolkit to help spread the word. Buyer agents are essential. So until mortgage rates fall, you're not going to see a material change in housing. But mortgage rates getting to 5% actually stabilized the market. That's what we saw in the data. The growth rate of inflation on some of the data lines are falling. If they continue to fall and the Fed pivots, right, and the bond market smells this recession, housing is disproportionately benefits from lower rates. Why? Because majority of people are always working, even in a job loss recession. You know, during COVID, when 20 to 30 million people were unemployed and people thought, there's 20 to 30 million people unemployed. I said, okay, I've got 133 million people still working and mortgage rates just went down. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where your host, Tracy Belt, Editorial Director of Real Trends, interviews the brightest minds in real estate. Each week, brokerage leaders, top agents, team leaders, and industry experts join Tracy to share trends, their secrets to success, and the lessons they learn navigating this ever-changing industry. Before we begin, here's a word from our sponsor. You know the role of the real estate agent has changed forever. And if you want to succeed in today's market, you need the right insights and tools from a source you can trust. Keeping current matters makes it easy to be the market expert your clients expect. With trusted insights that give you the confidence you need and timely content that gives you the presence you want, KCM helps you drive credibility and consideration. Learn more about how to master the market and your marketing with Keeping Current Matters by visiting trykcm.com forward slash Realtrends to learn more. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where we speak to the brightest minds in real estate about leadership, business growth, trends, and strategy. I'm your host, Tracy Velt, Editorial Director of Real Trends. And today I'd like to welcome Logan Matashami. He is the lead analyst for Housing Wire. And uh, welcome. It is wonderful to be here, Tracy. Yeah. So um, why don't I know you have a cult following, but for the audience members that don't know who you are, why don't you give us a little bit of background before we get into the housing market, what it looks like today and what it might potentially look like in 2023? Lead analyst Logan Motoshami. I've been here at Housing Wire since uh, the end of 2019. A lot of people know me for my own financial economic work in the previous expansion. I started to write about uh, housing economics in 2010. Uh, then I decided to make it about the U.S. economy in general, with housing being a secondary uh, factor by in 2015. One thing led to another. I became the giant nerd of the Internet, posted thousands of charts all the time. And uh, I think a lot of people know me for my housing economic work, especially in years 2020 to 2024. And then we wrote the uh, America's Back Recovery Model on April 7th, 2020, which I'm grateful that Housing Wire actually published because there was some discussion that that might not be uh, something. But I am a total just a, a data economist running around demographics and economic models. So I try to make uh, economics as entertaining as possible because my t- main two things is like, if economics is done right, it should be very boring. It's not designed to be this sexy, crazy, fun event, okay? It's not, it's just a bunch of data lines and trends and models. Uh, and you always want to be the detective, not the troll, right? So uh, we just want to try to give people as much 
real-time information uh, as possible based on uh, economic fact and not ideological views. And then uh, housing is such an important aspect of our U.S. economy, so much important to everyone's life in general, that it warrants proper attention to be given. Absolutely. Um so we'll we'll start with the current market. I know you've done some articles for Housing Wire, and um, for for anyone listening, if you want to read Logan's articles, they are housed on housingwire.com. Um, you reported on the National Association of Realtors report about days on market and inventory. So why don't we first start with that and tell me a little bit about what you're seeing in the current market? So for me. Uh Housing economics is demographics and affordability. And what happened was years 2020 to 2024 for me is actually a big part of my work going back 10 years. I've been waiting for this period for so long. And then right when we get here, housing authentically broke out in January and February of 2020. I was really excited. And then COVID happened. So trying to adjust uh, uh, economics around a global pandemic has been tricky. But one of the things that was actually concerning for me toward the end of uh, uh, 2020 was that days on market were getting too low. I always say when the days on market is a teenager, it's a bad thing. That is a bad teenager. It's going to cause nothing but trouble, right? Because there's simply not enough uh, uh, inventory uh, on the market to have uh, home buyers have choices, right? And what's occurred is that total inventory in America has been falling really since uh, uh, 2007. Uh, the only time before... Uh, this year that we had inventory growth was in 2014. It was a couple hundred thousand homes. That's when uh, housing demand was down year over year uh, uh, and inventory slightly grew. We've been slowly moving to a very bad area. And then when 2020 came, inventory collapsed to all-time lows. And when I talk about inventory collapsing to all-time lows, I'm taking the nominal number. When you adjust it to population and households, it's extremely low. It's historically low. So days on market were simply too low uh, to have a kind of a functioning normal housing market. So what I've always wanted to see is that the days on market start to grow, get out of the teenager phase and get back to 30 to 45 days, which would be normal, right? That would be a normal housing market. That usually Matt, goes with 2019 inventory levels. We have parts of the U.S. that are at 2019 uh, inventory levels. But the last existing home sales report the days on market was a teenager last year at 18 days. It's 21 days. It's still historically uh, too low for my taste, but we're heading in the right direction, right? Because after the massive amount of housing inflation that we took in uh, since the start of 2020, for myself, I said, housing would be okay if it only grew at 23% for five years. I set the specific price growth model here just because there was a concern that if inventory broke to all-time lows during this period, it can be problematic while we're at 43%. So to get housing back to boring and balance, you need the days on market grow. And that was a positive in the report. Now, the total inventory data in the NAR report has fallen for the last three months. We are at 1.22 million. Uh, just to give some historical context, going back to 1982, uh, two to two and a half million is normal, right? And when we talk about the 80s and 90s, we're talking, we had a lot less people back then too. But that has been the historical norm. Why? Because a traditional seller is also a traditional buyer of a home, right? So when they list and sell their home, they're 75 to 82% of the time they're buying another property. So that keeps the inventory levels at bay. The historical anomaly was actually 2005 to 2008. What happened there? Forced credit selling, right? 
Foreclosures and bankruptcies were rising in 2005, 6, 7, and 8. Then the job loss recession happened after. So inventory grew from 2 million in 2000 to 2.5 million in 2005. Then we shot up to 3.6 million in 2006 and a little bit above 4 million. That's the historical anomaly. Here, we started the year all time lows at 860,000, right? That's extremely low. So now we're working our way back up. We got to about 1.31 million at the peak of here in 2022. But the days on market is growing because what occurs with housing after 2010 is inventory can accumulate over time when days on market grow, right? So the uh, historical thing that happened this year, which you know only happened in COVID-19, was when mortgage rates got to six and a quarter percent, the new listings data started to decline, right? So at first I was like, oh, this better not happen. This better not happen. And what, what occurred was that sellers kind of gave up uh, earlier and faster than normal, uh, and we've had, I think, 19 straight weeks of new listings uh, being negative. It's been negative for so long now that the year-to-date uh, uh, new listings is actually down 6%. Uh, so what has occurred is that the homes that are uh, the very low inventory that's been on the market, as rates rise, the days on markets grow, that inventory level starts to increase. That's what we saw in 2014, except 2014 total inventory got to 2.3 million. We're at 1.22. So you get some context of where we are. Uh, but that can drive total inventory to grow as days on market grows. And we get back to a boring, balanced housing market. And then we don't have that much drama anymore. So that's the one thing that uh, I saw in that I was encouraging to me is that the days on market growing. As soon as mortgage rates started to spike after the massive home price gains, the existing home sales is basically having a waterfall dive. What's also occurred is that since new listings data has been declining since the end of June, that's also another demand hit. So you're getting hit by the first-time home buyers of affordability, and now the seller that's traditionally a buyer, you put that together, that's a huge chunk of housing demand. So the data looks like a waterfall, and the year-over-year comps are going to be very challenging. Like from October of last year is when purchase application data volume started to rise, so sales were rising. So the year-over-year data... Uh, is going to get worse and worse until we get back to some kind of normal uh, comp period. So let's talk about prices. I know that um, people are really worried prices are just going to crater. Lawrence Yoon said um, that's not true. But what about in your model? What are you um, seeing with home prices? So I got 2022 wrong because my price forecast growth was too low. Okay. Um, I, I don't believe I'm going to get there. There's a chance for me to get my, uh, I was looking for about 5.2% to 6.7% price growth. That was just assuming mortgage rates can get between 4 to 5%. Okay. So when rates got to 4 to 5%, that actually wasn't doing the damage that I thought it would do. Uh, and people have to remember January and February and March was a really, unhealthy housing market. I coined the phrase savagely unhealthy in February of uh, uh, of this year. The Federal Reserve, one month later, said we need a housing reset. Uh, inventory was so low that we had forced bidding. Forced bidding escalates prices. Also, the Federal Reserve has, has, has targeted the, the people removing contingencies off of their offers was not something they liked. Right. So you had multiple biddings, contingencies off, and, you know, prices were heading toward another 22 to 27 percent home price growth year. When rates started to rise, sales declined. We see this all the time in 2013 and 14. We saw that 2018 and 19. 
The growth rate of pricing falls. It's just that the year started off so hot that I don't think I'm going to get to my level. So when you look at pricing mechanisms, I've had that price growth model of 23% for five years. We're already 20% above that. So on my model, we are 20% overvalued to a baseline trend. But again, it depends on where rates go. Uh, I think the NAR is believing that, you know, because total inventory is so low, you can't get really major price declines. This is actually true in the historical sense that um, sellers don't usually like just give you their homes for free or, or major declines. They sell what they need to get through. So we're working off of a very elevated level right now. Uh, in terms of year-over-year growth that started early, and we're starting to cool down in here. So it's basically going to be kind of a wild, wild west shoot-off between home sellers and home buyers. Sellers, existing home sellers are very stingy always, right? You know, so so uh, if they're not forced to sell, they will basically sell on what they believe they need to have happen. We have a lot of nested equity in the US, that means people that have mortgage debt, they have a lot of equity built in into their home. So they have some leeway here. Of course, 40% of homes in America don't have a mortgage anyway. Uh, but their the existing home seller market is different than the builders. The new home sales market is almost like a commodity, right? That person builds a home, they sell it, they need to make as much money as possible. They don't need to acquire shelter right around. So what we're seeing is this tug of war. The people that are selling their homes are pricing their homes right. Uh, eventually that explosion in price growth that we saw early in the year is going to work itself down and we're going to find a median uh, most likely into 2023. And then it's all about rates, right? When mortgage rates went from six and a quarter to 5% and the Fed freaked out, they said, no, we cannot have mortgage rates go down. We need a housing reset. We need to inflict more pain on people. Rates have to go up higher. They're talking about financial conditions getting easier or looser. Uh, and they weren't happy about that. So they talked up mortgage rates. When we talk about mortgage rates, the Fed pivot, everything, it really depends on the labor market, right? My sixth recession red flag model is up. That's a recession model that uh, I've used to tag when the U.S. is going in recession. It's back-tested, going back five decades. Uh, all six flags are up as of August of, of this year. So what I'm looking at is when the labor market breaks. When jobless claims rise to me above 323000 the Fed will pivot at that point, then rates will come down. So 5% mortgage rate stabilizes the housing market we've seen in the last two weeks. Uh, rates going from 7.375 to 6.60. Uh, we said for the first time we've had back-to-back -back growth in purchase application. That stabilization to where inventory levels is, is really the name of the game for 2023. If rates get back to 5%, uh, stabilize the market, what we won't see, which we'll never see uh, uh, again, is the massive amount of inventory rising due to forced credit selling. Uh, again, uh, the credit markets in the United States of America, just in general, have completely changed because of two laws. The 2005 bankruptcy reform laws still doesn't get talked about today. And then the 2010 QM mortgage laws. What it's created is the best home loan profile I've ever seen in my life. Our family's been in banking since the late 1950s. I was a loan officer. I retired early in 2020. So we understand the credit risk models of how residential lending works. And everybody looks good. Why? Housing is very simple. It's a fixed long-term debt product and your wages rise every year, right? So the total cost of housing is very low. Um, and especially now when people say, well, housing is usually the best hedge against inflation. What they mean is that your fixed payment stays the same. 
your wages are rising because the cost of living is going up. So your housing expense is going low. A renter, of course, doesn't have that situation. But uh, that's that's when people talk about housing uh, uh, being a hedge against inflation. And, and it's really going to be a tug of war next year. So um, so as far as, uh, you know, a lot of agents are, are curious, like, does, does the, do the low mortgage rates that homeowners have right now keep them on the fence? I think the thought was that both buyers and sellers wouldn't be on the fence at this point, that, that we, would, we would have buyers still buying. And that not, isn't necessarily true, um, I don't think. But tell me your, you know, your opinion of that and what you're seeing. Um, is, because I feel like this market, every market is different, but this market is one that I don't think really people know what to expect. There is a concept called a mortgage rate lockdown. It is something I've never believed in before. Uh, I've written about the, how I don't believe in it because it needs three variables to happen to even have the discussion. So one variable number one, mortgage rates need to break to all-time lows where a huge portion of the United States of America is refinanced to them. Check. 64.5% of the country have mortgage rates between 2 to 4%. Uh, 85.9% of the country have mortgage rates between 2 to 5%. So that portion is true. That variable officially happened uh, 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 during the uh, uh, COVID-19 period. Everyone refinanced. Number two, mortgage rates need to rise to have a mortgage rate lockdown. And I'm not talking like one or one and a half percent that we've dealt with in the past, in the previous decade. I'm talking two and a half to four and a half percent. Check. Okay, so that's variable number two. And then it also needs to happen in a year where prices are actually still rising year over year uh, because mortgage rates go up higher, they stay higher. Prices aren't declining to offset the rate. Like you know, if your home prices were down 20% year over year, you have some kind of mechanism to make the uh, housing affordability data better. That's not happening. Check. So the three things that I would need to see before I entertain the mortgage rate lockdown all happen. So when I when I try to get people to think about the mortgage rate lockdown, it's almost not the rate itself, it's the total cost of housing. So what's occurred in the country is that from 1985 to 2007, people stayed in their home five to seven years. From 2008 to 2022, that's 11 to 13 years. Uh, parts of the US are 15 years, uh, some are 18 years. I've stayed in my home for 18 years. What's occurred is that all these people their wages have been rising so much, their total cost of housing has come down. And they're sitting here with now mortgage rates between 2 to 4%. Their total cost versus their incomes are so low. They're in their mid-30s, 40s, 50s. Life is great for them. So what occurs is that you don't really need to move outside of the reason. Let's say you, uh, uh, you have more kids, uh, uh, your jobs moved, you know, all these other traditional reasons but outside of that, you're in a really good spot. So what's occurred is that total inventory levels have been falling, falling, falling for, for a very long time. We just don't have a, uh, people moving as much as they used to. Uh, and the baby boomers are staying uh, put in their houses. So now we're just dealing with the traditional movers. And some of them now can't afford to move, right? Uh, uh, and uh, it's too expensive for them. They don't qualify. And then the other one's like, you know, I don't want to give up this $2,000 mortgage payment 
for a four thousand dollar mortgage payment, right? Because if you're moving up, naturally you're buying a bigger home. So uh, we have a situation where we saw this occur in the data. New listings data uh, is very seasonal, uh, just like inventory data it rises in the spring and summer, fades in the fall and winter. It quit early, right? And I think the shock of mortgage rates jumping so fast, remember, this has never happened for a lot of us, right? This is the first time we've had this biggest increase. We went from 2.5% to almost 7.5%. That's a big deal, right? Uh, so I think for right now, a lot of uh, sellers are just, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not buying. And uh, the concerning thing for me for next year that I think everyone needs to keep an eye on, we do not want new listings data declining on a year-over-year basis in the spring and summer. We want to see, we always see the traditional listings grow, but we want to see that grow because, again, a seller is a buyer of a home, right? That's an inventory on the market for people to buy. And then when they sell, they go buy something else, right? So we losing the new listings data in June was very problematic. So that's the thing that I'm waiting for to see next year. Uh, because I believe we can get total inventory back to 2019 levels nationally. That's on the NAR day, it was about 1.52 million, uh, 1.93 million, right? 1.22 million here. So hopefully we just get traditional sellers to come in and when they sell their home, eventually they'll buy another one. We get more of a functioning housing market. This was just a, as I talk about, a savagely unhealthy housing market this year for all these things that were historic in nature. And again, everything past 2020 is historic in nature because we're all dealing with our first major global pandemic, but it happened in a very, very solid demographic uh, uh, time for our our, uh, housing market, something I've talked about for many years. Why? Because we as Americans are very simple people. We rent, we date, we mate, we get married. Three and a half years after marriage, we have kids. Uh, The biggest housing demographic patch right now, ages 28 to 34, is the biggest in U.S. history. People get married you know, 28, 29, then they have kids. Pregnancy data started to uh, uh, pick up in years 2020 and 2021. So we we have that little boost in uh, uh, family households that looks pretty normal if you look at the data. Uh, and again, you know, uh, the housing affordability issue is the main problem where during the housing bubble where it's a credit boom, credit bust, we don't have that credit bust. Credit getting tighter can't really happen like it did back then because Everything's mostly a 30-year mortgage right now. So different dynamics, but we, we want to see listings and inventory grow because it gets everything back to a functioning housing market. And the first test of that failed badly, as uh, sellers just said, no mas. Yeah. So I want to go into demographics a little um, because I remember this was a, a while ago. You were talking about how demographics are very favorable for housing uh, moving forward, regardless of the baby boomers um, kind of staying in place. Unfortunately, they they will not be staying in place forever. So, um, tell me a little bit more. Let's go a little deeper into demographics and how that how that plays a role in the housing market going forward. Yes. So, in the previous expansion. Um, when I started to write about housing, there was a very core uh, premise. Housing would have its weakest recovery ever from 2008 to 2019. What I mean by weakest recovery, new home sales, mortgage debt, housing starts, uh, two things I said that will never happen in the last expansion, the purchase application data, the mortgage bank uh, purchase application that people see weekly, that will never get to 300 until years 2020 to 2024. It's an index volume, 100 to 500. Uh, 
it hit 2020 uh, and we hit 300 right online. We work our household formation up. Millions of people buy homes a year, right? It's just the level of sales growth. I never thought we can get total home sales above 6.2 million until years 2020 to 2024 because we get this little bump, once in a lifetime historical bump from this group. And then, you know, after 2024, they should have all been in there because millennials are the biggest home buyers in America, right? So they're, uh, th that's been starting since 2013. The uh, oldest one is in their 40s now, so the things have changed. Gen Z for right now is simply, they're big as well. They're a massive group. They're simply too, uh, uh, too young right now. We, as a country, it's really rare to get uh, existing home sales under 4 million after 1996. But uh, so the demographics are there. But when we think of housing demand, we have to think of it as first time home buyer, move up buyer, move down buyer, cash buyer, investor. You put them all together. You've got a lot of people right now. The population of America is 330 million. Uh, if you put the millennials and Gen Z together, they're bigger than the total population of Japan, right? So we have a, uh, over 150 million people working. So millions of people buy. We just get a little bit of bump. Unfortunately, when this bump occurred, it also happened when inventory hit an all-time low on nominal basis, population adjusted, and percentage of how it was terrible. It was the worst time for this to happen, but it did. And now it's just a straight affordability issue. And we see this uh, data in the pregnancy data and, and, and how we're going to – birth rate's going to pick up a little bit more than usual, working from a little bit of a low bar. That's that household formation right there. And, of course, it wasn't just uh, home prices or shelter inflation. Rent inflation took off. Guess what? Because rental vacancies were falling for years. And here comes this group again. So we got, we actually paid the price for not having enough product available for the society. Where in 2012 and 2019, I, I really didn't have to worry about it because I didn't think demand would ever get to the part where we just take off. Here, that was the main concern, and it happened. Uh, but the demographics are there, right? People, people need to uh, buy homes. People need to rent. People need to move. But uh, again, affordability is the raw issue right now, and it's not just first-time home buyers. It's, uh, it's people who sell their homes to buy. Do they actually want to purchase? And people are buying homes still at 7%, 6.5%. That's, that's still happening. But uh, definitely it was a, a affordability shock. And uh, it's one thing to lose the first time home buyer, but to lose the seller as well that becomes a buyer, that's more problematic as well. Yeah. And um, finally, my, my last question is really, you know, is this going to get worse before it gets better? What's your outlook for 2023? And what, um, what opportunity do you see for real estate agents in the market? So until mortgage rates fall, you're not going to see a material change in housing. But mortgage rates getting to 5% actually stabilized the market. That's what we saw in the data. Uh, the new home sales market actually really benefited when rates get down to 5%. But we have to remember that that marketplace is tiny. You know, it's five, 600,000 homes versus the existing home sales market, which is 5 million. So the growth rate of inflation on some of the data lines are falling. If they continue to fall and the Fed pivots, right, and the bond market smells this recession, I think this is an important factor for everybody to realize. Housing is disproportionately uh, uh, benefits from lower rates. Why? Because majority of people are always working, even in a job loss recession. You know, during COVID, when 20 to 30 million people were unemployed and people thought, what are you talking about housing recovery? There's 20 to 30 million people unemployed. I said, 
okay, I've got 133 million people still working and mortgage rates just went down, right? And the uh, um, the disproportionately recessionary data is that the people with the highest unemployment rates are those without a high school education, they're service sector workers. So the renter financial profile gets hit more, the renter buyer profile gets hit more. Shelter inflation coming down in that sense is positive for next year because uh, we already see it in the early data uh, uh, now, it's something I talked about. I remember going on CNBC a few months ago on CPI day. I said, listen, CPI is still stay hot, but 2023 will be different because shelter inflation is already coming down. The CPI data won't pick it up really until the second half of 2023. Everyone will see that happening. Mortgage rates get down to 5%. You got buyers there. So if you're like an agent right there, somebody's going to be taking those buyers in and getting it done. Right, because we saw that brief stabilization. We've already seen two weeks of purchase application data growing. It's because you're working from a lower bar. You got to realize that if that occurs, you get more buyers into it. So uh, that's that's the theme for 2023. That would materially change the housing market if rates could get down to five and just stay there. Right, it's not going to be the two and a half or three and a half percent the Fed is worried about. You know, another reflation of. But 5% is stabilization, and then you could get some buyer activity, especially now considering how low uh, uh, sales are right now. And, of course, the purchase application data adjusting to populations, the lowest level ever today. Uh, it's just that now we just don't have the active listings like we traditionally have from 1982 to uh, 2019. We're still trying to work our way back. And that's where the days on market growing. It'll give people more choices. Choices is good. Uh, uh, the seller market is not a stronger seller market anymore just because the buyers have a little bit more advantage, but rates coming back down changes that narrative. Great. Well, Logan, thank you so much for sharing your insight um, and expertise on the housing market with the Real Trends audience. Um, we appreciate you and thanks so much. Pleasure to be here. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thank you for listening to Real Trending. If you haven't already, we'd love it if you'd take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. And we will see you next week with more news and insights.